You're listening to the oneofus.net podcast network. Full disclosure, this is not the breakfast pub, and yet we're a little drunk. <laughs> a little bit. Yeah. we Marco and I decided that we were going to have a few drinks before the show instead of during or after, and this may affect the quality of the show, but I'm hoping in a positive way. That yeah, Absolutely. So, but we're here to review... Bull- and I've got some things to say about some of you people. Oh, God. Uh, I'm going to have to give him hand signals, like, enough, enough. All right, all right, all right, all right. Shut up, Marco. I love this movie. I love, I love you, man. So much. You're so cool. I lo- oh wait, what are we doing? Oh yeah, digital noise. Yeah, we're gonna cover Blu-rays and DVDs. Uh, like a little house cleaning here. First off, like there's a bunch of Amazon links on the page with the images of all the movies we're recording. If you could please click on those links and either buy those titles or really, honestly, it doesn't matter. If you click on those links to go to Amazon and then you're like, it's time for my Christmas shopping. Christmas is coming up. As long as you start with our links, we get a kickback. That's right. From Amazon, which is a decent little kickback. You could actually buy beer on Amazon. Can you really? I don't know, but I'm just trying to encourage people to click on the links. I, I assume you probably can. I'm sure you can buy some fine quality liquor on uh oh, But on it's Amazon. Christmas, so you're buying Christmas presents, and that's what I'm saying. But, it's but, like, but you know. the best Christmas present you can give is one to yourself, whether that's in the form of movies or some fine malt liquor. Well, that works for me. Yeah. I like the way you think, Marco. Yeah. Uh, but also, please become a subscriber. It makes a huge difference. In supporting the site, the reason we can do what we do, the reason we can keep putting out these podcasts is because of the subscribers more than any other thing, even if it's just the $2 level. I mean, really, how is that going to affect you in any way? Sign up to be a $2 subscriber. Sign up to be a $5 subscriber. Sign up to be a $10 subscriber. If you really love us, sign up to be a $25 subscriber. There is a little secret hidden, like, only for the coolest of the cool at the $25 level. I'm just saying. But regardless, please do that. Please support one of us.net. Please support Digital Noise. And we thank you greatly. And with that being said, and with no further ado, let's go to the, the reviews. reviews. Oh, I, I, you didn't harmonize with me. I'm, I'm, harmonizing is not my strong point. Okay. Well, yeah. you know, but you know who does harmonize really well? Yeah. Are the folks in this adap- in this adaptation of the Broadway play, Dream Girls. Now, I don't know if any of you guys are old Spill.com fans. When we reviewed this back in the day, we were all like, all of us were kind of like this move. This play wasn't even on our radar. And we saw this and we fell madly in love with this. Oh, no, it's a fantastic well, adaptation. This is so good. And over the years, and, and I haven't seen this since it originally came out. So rewatching this new uh, special edition here, the, uh, the, um, director's extended edition, which I believe was actually the exact same version they put out before. This this new version has just got uh, a few new extra. I think uh, it's got a whole new song and about ten more minutes. Yeah, but that all were that cut th- out of the original all, uh, theatrical. Release. I think that was on the last Blu-ray as Probably. well. Probably, but, but the only new stuff here is there's a few uh, audition stuff from yeah, Jennifer Hudson. Um, and in fact, I'm just going to point out there's two versions of this. Okay, that have come out. All right, one of them is 
uh, only has the new stuff that came out and did not come with the port of the shit from the previous edition, which is very much worth having. Uh, although this new version does all, as well come with a cool little photo book. It's, it's you know, a digibook type yeah. of thing. But if you get the Target edition of this, it has everything. Yeah. Apparently. I was a little disappointed in the special features. I mean, it was great yeah. uh, to have some of those uh, Jennifer Hudson uh, audition videos. That was cool. But I was hoping for some more on this. But you're right. It was stuff that appeared on previous editions. So if you already own it. This may not be the best buy for you, but if you haven't seen it, and full disclosure, believe it or not, I had not seen this before. Oh, I heard wow. great okay. things about it. But I thought, oh, okay, finally I get to catch up on this. And, you know, there's a lot of digital noise titles that we get that I review and watch somewhat out of obligation. It's like, I have to watch uh, no. this. <laughs> yeah, there's a few that I have you to watch. You don't genuinely to look forward through. to saying, I can't wait to see Blood Feast? Uh, you know, but... In the case of this one, I was just immediately just hooked by this because I'm kind of a, a not only a movie nerd, but you know, like a I wouldn't say I'm a musical nerd. I've never been too partial to music. But you like, but, but you like me when there's a good musical, a really good one, it it grabs you. It and makes grabs you, go, you like, oh my god! And it's like, oh, I get it. Jamie Fox is sort of like Barry Gordy, or oh, this they're supposed to be the Supremes. Oh, that Eddie Murphy is the James Brown character. Yeah, I got all those connections, and that enriched it for me. Because even though this is a highly fictionalized version... Yeah, it's kind of a mashup of yeah. people. Like, everybody is kind of more than one person. Yeah, they're a composite Except for, characters. like, maybe Beyonce is more... Who's pretty much Diana Ross. Yeah, pretty yeah. much. Uh, but, yeah, it, it's a mashup of Motown. And the songs are amazing. The performances are amazing. I mean, even fucking Eddie Murphy, who, you know... The role he was born to play. Actually, him, him and Jennifer Hudson. These are two... Fi- Watching them, I'm like, Jesus Christ, these two people were put on this planet to play this role. Now, with Jennifer Hudson, she was a fairly new star. Yeah, she was an American Idol. That was basically her claim to fame. Eddie Murphy, by that point, had already had a long career. and But to be frank, we hadn't really seen him in anything that was really very good in a while. Yeah. And to see him in this, I'm like, yes, of course. After all of those years parodying James Brown and Stevie Wonder, he finally gets to actually put that to use. Yeah. And, you know, it just proves what I've always said, which is great parody comes out of love. Yeah. He parodied those characters because he loved that their music. And here he has a role that allows him to utilize all of those impersonations to create this indelible character. And, you know, he's I don't want to say he's the highlight of the film because everybody in this movie. No, I is think great. Hudson is the highlight. But Hudson is definitely. There's that moment in this movie where uh like, because, you know, it's like the original lineup of this group of girls and they kind of edge out Jennifer Hudson. Yeah. Hudson who, and, like, there's that point where uh, Beyonce's character is being told, oh, I, uh, Jamie Foxx, who's the manager, who's kind of a slimy manager guy, is like, I think you should be the lead. Yeah. And uh, she's television's like, coming in. And she's like, I'm not even close to as good a singer as yeah. she is. And But she's young and there's and that trim. moment you went... But that's Beyonce, you know, like who's like one yeah. of the like greatest musicians probably like working in pop music today. And then you go, yeah, but then you listen to both of them sing. And you're like, no, you're right. Oh. Jennifer Hudson is a much better singer and, and than she's Beyonce. A belter, and she puts all this oomph <laughs> into it. But her she, moments on stage when 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 she gets to go. Yeah. Like when when Hudson is like, 
boom, there's a point where like the whole like we're kicking you out and her like in, uh, imploring Jamie Foxx like please we were in a relationship together. That song sequence is yeah. astonishing. Yeah, I mean I don't think she's done anything as good since no. and maybe never will. But it comes back to what I was saying. Uh, I would like to think, and maybe I'm fooling myself here, but I would like to think that everybody in the world, if you cast them in the right part, could do a great would job. Would do a great job. Yeah. They could maybe only With the be right in one director, movie. The right, right director, writer. right script. The one person, not even a professional trained actor, but you put them in the right role and you just go, oh, wow, they're so perfect for this. And she is perfect for this. Yeah. And she's not, to be totally frank, and I, I, rep- I appreciate the way they do this in the film. She's not always a likable character. No. You know, she, she's you self-destructive. Get, you, you get yeah. why she's a pain in the ass. Yeah. But when she is forced to, like, sing a song about, like, how everybody, you know, how, you know, she's... It's a song basically telling women, hey, you know, you're getting too fat. You need to, like, lose some pounds if you want to keep a man. And she's like, fuck this. I'm out. And basically at that point, she's out of the band. And just kind of hits a really low point in her career. That's the thing. It's heartbreaking, but goddamn, she's so good at this. This thing isn't as simple as it seems from the outside. There, these are some really complex characters. Yeah, who have really interesting arcs. Not all of them, mind you. There's no. like characters who are only there as supporting characters more than anything else. But it's still really fascinating. And there's a lot of people who are like, oh, wait, look who that is. Yeah. Because when it came out, like Yvette Nicole Brown uh, plays a small role in here or John Krasinski, uh, you know, John Lithgow has a small role in here as well. You know, it's, this is a must see musical. Yeah. Uh, I would put this in the, in the, my list, greatest musicals of the last 30 years or so. Yeah. Which is a very small list. It to is. be fair. I mean, yeah. we do not crank out, America does not crank out musicals the way I put it used this, to. I put this right up against Chicago for like best sure. musical of the last 30 years. It's so good. Highly recommend it. If you don't have this already, this is the one to get. Yeah. You know, absolutely. and once again, the target version. I know that's weird to specify, but that version has all the extras ported from the previous version. Mm-hmm. The wide release version does not. Yeah. And the great thing is, you know, if you haven't seen this version, if you maybe you've seen the theatrical, maybe you haven't, but you get both cop versions with this. So that's cool. I, yeah. I, I hate it when they give me like a extended cut, but I don't get the original cut, too. So you get the best of both worlds with this particular uh, release. All right. So our next one is another double dip. And the only reason for the double dip of John Hughes classic planes, trains, and automobiles is because they never had a digital copy attached in the yeah. past. This new version that's coming out is exactly the extras in the previous version. Exactly the same copy. The only difference being is they've included a digital copy. But yeah. that being said, planes, trains, and automobiles is one of those great comedies that came out in 1987. It's Steve Martin playing Neil Page is a very, like, you know, very Steve Martin, a very high-strung guy it's very who, rigid, who's very trying to get home for Thanksgiving. Uh, you know he's square because he's the only man in the 1980s still wearing a fedora. He's, yeah. basically a, he's basically the man in the gray flannel suit set in modern times. So he meets a schlub played by John Candy and arguably Candy's greatest role. I, I don't think there's much argument there. I mean, it's, you know, that or Stripes. 
but you know. Yeah. But this is a character. This yeah. is there, there's a lot of heart to this particular. And they kind of are thrown together by fate to be the two to try and get to Chicago together. Right. Like you know, it's just like uh, Martin is totally dismissive of Candy. Like oh, whatever, he's just guy's just some irritating middle America dude. Like I am like not that kind of guy. He's, he's a he's a he's a marketing executive. He's just left a meeting in New York. He's got to run, catch a plane, catch a cab, get to the airport so he can get home to his family in Chicago in time for Thanksgiving. And as we were talking about earlier, this is one of the rare sort of Thanksgiving-based movies. Yeah, there's only two I can think of of Thanksgiving movies that I go, oh, no, these are must-watches. This and uh, Home for the Holiday yeah. with Holly Hunt. That's about it. But but the really smart thing this script does, and we should point out this was written and directed by the late John Hughes. The really smart thing this script does is that it finds – it is a broad comedy. Make no mistake. Oh, yeah. But it finds a relatively organic way to shove these two characters together and then not only shove them together but – orchestrates this chain of horrific events that prevents them from getting away from one another. And, and you realize that the uh, the Steve Martin character is just forced to endure this guy in order to get home. But that's and, the charm of this film. And it is. Is that the film ends up making you see the purity of John Candy's character yeah. here. The, the fact that this guy, yeah, he's not the smartest you know, like guy he's in the world. He's not a sophisticated guy. He's not sophisticated. No. But if there's one thing he has, he's a, he's, he's a shower ring salesman. He's got genuine heart and sweetness. Yes. He's a sweet guy. And by the end of the film, yeah. the, by the the first half of the film, you're like, oh God, can you imagine dealing with this yeah, guy? Having to share a bed by with the this guy. End of the film, you just love him and want to hug yeah. him. And, and and that does happen in this movie. And you know. Does it end a little bit mawkishly and sentimental? Yes. But it has but to. But God damn it, it earns it. It has to, yeah. It's it earns it. it. Uh, and it also has, I will say, one of the most memorable moments from uh, this period of John Hughes's film in the 80s, that whole... Like, where's your hand? Oh, the two pillows scene. Yeah. Yeah, it, between two th- pillows. This is the, you know? Look, the 80s was the last great period of gay panic comedy. <laughs> Let's face it. That was something that you and I, being of a similar age, grew up with. Nowadays, it's not so cool. But there is definitely, you know, it's like, how was that? Hey, you know, how's the Bears game? Yeah, yeah, that was great. Yeah. You know, it, it's two guys forced into a situation that has created a kind of enforced intimacy that they are not comfortable with. Yeah. And of course, that discomfort provides a lot of laughter. Yes, it you does. Know, the thing about this and is... And not in you know, like a... It's not it's homophobic. Not no. It's just they're two normal guys who are like... I don't even think it's homophobic. I think like two guys who are definitely not homosexual who end up in a position where like they may have been touching each other nakedly yeah. by they accident. wake up in the middle of the night going oh why is there you know with their arms my, around one yeah, another your your hand was in my ass that yeah, was that's basically that would be awkward for anyone regardless of that pretty much would be true <laughs> but you know the, the thing hitting me about this and i had not seen it in many years i know you've seen it more times than i have i, I grew up re-watching i, it, I mean re-watching i, I, it, I watched it several time. times but, you know, I, I don't have that the same sort of encyclopedic memory that you do. It came out in 1987, which, incidentally, is one of my favorite years for movies ever. Oh, fair enough. And, and I saw it many times, but I hadn't seen it recently. Uh, this is, in a weird way, and, and all right, fair, full disclosure, I am a little drunk. 
<laughs> I think we started with that. So, yeah. So, it's fine. So, I, I might change my mind, dear viewer or listener. I might change my mind, but I'm going to actually say this is my pick of the week. Oh, wow. Yeah. It's, a, right. it's a stone-cold classic. Also, right now, I can't remember what else is in the stack. Uh, it's <laughs> a stone-cold classic. It's something I grew up on. And not having seen it in many years, I was impressed by how much it held up. A okay. lot of movies from my childhood don't hold up this well. And, and John Hughes, if you know John Hughes, he tends to be remembered for his teen comedies, which are great. But I would argue that those movies have not aged very well. You know, I know what you this mean. This movie feels like it could have been made at any era. I know what you mean. I'm I'm weird in that although I acknowledge it's not his best film by any stretch of the imagination, my favorite John Hughes film is Weird Science. And which I is not, that, I think, his best is film, even more, but it's one of my favorites. Even more awkward today, but the jokes in it are so absurd. Oh, They're so surreal. And I love the fact that it never, like, that these guys, people are like, oh, that's so gross. They created a woman. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, but even at the time, Hughes knew that, like, like you don't want to go to them having sex with her. It never happens yeah. in the movie because they're but just But that's also that movie kids. where it's like you just kids just type on a computer and suddenly a magic yeah, magically yeah. a woman appears. You, the eighties teen comedies of John Hughes feel somewhat dated to me. They're so rooted in their era, in the norms and the fashions. And yet and this the music. one feels like they could have made it just now. It could have been made, yes, last year. It yeah. could have been made in the nineteen forties. It is a timeless film and you know and the jokes land. Yeah. It, it, they just land. It works. The chemistry between Martin and, and Candy. Yeah. Is, it's a is, shame they didn't do more together. Yeah. They would have been a great team to put up the, uh, uh, with each other again. Yeah. Now, the the ports of the extra features here, there is uh, a 16 and a half minute piece with uh, John Hughes, Steve Martin, John Candy talking uh, about yeah, the cast. It's an archival and interview. Quality, about all that stuff. There is a two part feature called John Hughes and uh, Life Moves Pretty Fast, which includes John Hughes, The Voice of a Generation, which is about 27 and a half minute, and Heartbreak and Triumph, The Legacy of John Hughes at about 26 minutes, uh, which is just sort of a tribute to Hughes post yeah. his death. Uh, there's a four minute look at uh, called uh, John Hughes for Adults, a look into his uh, trying to, like this movie was, moving more into stuff that was definitely not directed yeah. at teens, like this was. There's a three-minute tribute to John Candy, and then there's one three-and-a-half-minute deleted scene. I mean, honestly, this was a solid set before. The only reason this is more essential is because now you get a digital copy, as I said before, mm. but it's still well worth your yeah. time. Uh, all right, so let's move on to our next film, which is a modern comedy film, which I did not see in the theater because honestly, it just I went. I suspect this is not going to be my type of thing, so I'm just gonna maybe ask if I get a chance to watch on Blu-ray. I will. That's Girls Trip. Uh, we had just watched another mediocre, like sort of girls going on a bachelor party mm -hmm. and uh, film that we didn't really care for, and I was like, this. I, I just don't want to watch another one less than a month later. Uh, but that being said, this is directed by Malcolm D. Lee, who is one of those guys I regularly defend as a director who who uh, has, He's on a regular work. basis, take, taken on stuff that's like definitely like African-American cinema, but he's done some of the best films, comedy films in that, like Undercover Brother, uh, which is still, I think, better than any of the Austin Powers movies, or Roll Bounce, which is the best movie about roller skating 
ever made. I'm sorry. It just is. Uh, or Barbershop, the next cut, the last Barbershop film, which is the only one I think in the whole series that's actually worth watching. Huh. It's actually kind of solid. Girls Trip is a film that... Whereas I realize I am not the target audience for this by any stretch of the imagination. There's a point when it gets past just wanting to be a comedy that it actually feels like it wants to say something that I was like, God damn it. This is actually kind of good. Yeah, no, I enjoyed it. Mind you, I watched the extended cut, which I think is far too long and way too cringy. However... Uh, there's no denying the chemistry that these uh, women have together. I think they're a bunch of very funny women who are in a story that actually works pretty well. I just think this particular cut was a little bit too long for my taste. I think length tends to kill comedy. Uh, you can take something can. too far. It should never be over an hour and a half. It, it never should. But yeah. for people who have already seen it and loved it, this incorporates some more gags and you know yeah. brings in a few extra characters now what here you got there. here is this group of old friends who've known each other since college the flossy posse yeah. as they call each other where lifestyle guru uh played by regina hall who is being set up to be kind of the next oprah if you will who's like the big star among her friends and right. she's set up to be a keynote speaker at the essence music festival she's like hey here's our excuse to get a bonding thing back with my old friends and she's in a and, power yeah. she's a part of a power couple with an ex with a former football player yeah, they Mike, have like a media empire Mike Coulter, who plays Luke Cage yeah. and, and uh, on Netflix's television series so she gets uh, Queen Latifah who uh, who is uh, Formerly a very popular gossip columnist, but her site is starting to flounder. Jada Pinkett Smith, who is a nurse and a very uptight mom, who a single mom, who uh, since her divorce has just kind of fallen into the serious rut. Uh, Tiffany Haddish is that sort of super fuck it party girl. She, she is the highlight of this movie, I think. She is the wild card in the deck. Yeah, well, that, I mean, that, I guess that, so. everybody has that one friend who's never really grown up. <laughs> you know, you could count on them to raise hell. Yeah, she's the party girl. She's the one who says what, like, she's the uh, the wisdom of the idiot. Yeah. You know, like, who says the thing nobody else will say because you just don't say shit like that. You know, she's the, the that person. And they all are, end up in New Orleans partying their, their ass off while everyone's like, we think, like, you know, we both are kind of all becoming very aware that Regina Hall's husband is cheating on her. As well as issues from their past starting to come to a head. And for the first half of this film, it's just so slight. I just was like, okay, whatever. It's just a bunch of dumb party scenes. Yeah. There's a, there's a, it's like the hangover for chicks. It, yeah. There's a typical rated R shit. There's a scene where the girls like are oh on, God. A, the, a, the on zip like line. a zip line and oh piss God. all over everybody below. And I was like, yeah. come on, man. What that the kind fuck? of fuck? I do not want to see Jada Pinkett Smith urinating on a crowd. No, ever. Over Bourbon Street. No. But that being said, and they do that gag twice. Yeah, that that's being, the thing. It that being kills said, it, it comes it back around where, to some degree, it reaches the point about a halfway point of this movie where they go, you know what? We actually have some things we want to say about women and their relationships with each other and their way they feel like they have to act based on society with each other. What you can say, what you can't say about what men are allowed to get away with. That is really kind of interesting. Yeah. 
Uh, it, I, it takes I, too long to get there. Yeah, but I, I don't think I like this much as a comedy, but as a dramedy, it was all right. Yeah, it, when it leads more into the drama element, when it goes into the sort of cringe, gross-out humor, it, it kind of got lost on me. But you know what? There is a long history of men behaving badly comedies, yeah. and ladies get to have a couple of their own, and this is one of them. Yeah, I mean, it's fine. It's yeah. it, Like I said, this was never meant for me. It was not marketed towards me, and I'm sure a lot of this humor is just like stuff I'm like, okay, I, as somebody who's watched a billion of these movies, I've just seen these same jokes over again. It's not any – it doesn't make the joke any more special because you change the genre – the gender of the people who are doing it, but – this does add a little bit more in terms of personality. And the performances are genuinely solid. No, the good. chemistry between the women is just spot on. You, yeah. you absolutely believe that these are four old college buddies who immediately, if you've ever hung out with your old college friends, it's instant. You all start falling into those familiar patterns. Oh, that scares the fuck out of me. I'm, it, like, I've had old college friends talking about coming to visit me in town and now I'm and, like, and, I don't yeah, know if you I know, want you to. And, and, you know, I don't want to piss on a bunch of people and, and, and it's great for about line. a day and then you go, oh my God, where is this going? Yeah. Uh, but you know what? That's what I think a lot of where the comedy works. When you believe that these are four ladies going, why the hell are we still doing this? And then the other part of them goes, oh wait, no, we're still those same women we were 20 years ago. Yeah. So, you know, there, there's a lot of tension between, you know, how we should be behaving now as to like, hey, you know, we haven't lost our sex appeal. We haven't lost our, you know, joy for living. And when it hits those moments, it works. But, yeah, I agree with you. Some of it is too long and some of the comedy is a little bit uh, a yeah. little too gross for my taste. That's just me personally. But, yeah, I enjoyed this a lot more than I thought I would. I did, too. Uh, and there's uh, bonus scenes. There's uh, 10 minutes of deleted scenes here. There's 25 minutes Jeez, of outtakes. Thank God they the, didn't work that into the final. It's kind part. of become normal for this type yeah. of comedy. I mean, I, I suspect like a lot of comedies, this was to some degree, they were like, okay, film the scene, let's try it like eight different ways. You right. Know? Uh, there is a 10-minute feature called Planning the Trip, uh, which is uh, them just talking about a general overview. There's a five-and-a-half-minute outrageous moments that – Gets deeper into some of the film's key scenes. Uh, the the effort, essence of Nola for about, almost six minutes, which is uh, Nola, in other words, New Orleans, um, uh, which is just talking about just that shooting in New Orleans. There is a music video that's about three minutes. It's an extended version of a performance of Because of You, which is featured in the film by Neo. And then there is an audio commentary from Malcolm D. Lee. It, it's a packed disc, you know. I would be curious. Malcolm D. Lee is kind of a fascinating director. He definitely gets character. He definitely gets story. Yeah. I feel like he has intentionally put himself in this loop of, like, I just do African-American films, which is fine. Obviously, there's, like, I mean, somebody's got to make up for Tyler Perry's terrible yeah. movies. And Michael Malcolm D. Lee is, like, the, the, the good universe version of Tyler Perry. Yeah. Where you're, like, you actually make good movies in the African-American community right. about African-American experience. And that's great. But I would kind of love to yeah. see what else you have. And I'm kind of shocked no one's tried to tap him for some bigger thing. Like, I... If, if they had said Malcolm D. Lee was going to take on Black Panther, I would have gone, great. He's terrific. I think but you know what? Great I, I don't think it should necessarily be his life's great ambition to do a Marvel film. No, no, no. If but you know what I mean. If he wants to make, yeah. that's great. Yeah. I do think that he probably is kind of – comedy is obviously his wheelhouse. 
but he obviously has a knack for drama and getting good performances. So, yeah, I'd like to see him do uh, something a bit more ambitious. Speaking of comedy and oh, goofy boy. comedy, i got to go way back. To this is a deep cut. 1982, a young Chris Cox had just seen Airplane in the theater <laughs> not that long before this. And went, that was the best thing that has ever happened in American culture, ever. It's damn you know? well near. I was like 10 years old or whatever. And like, God damn it, that was amazing. I think I saw it like eight times in the theater. I went to see it over and over again. I loved it so much. And then this movie came out that was, even though no one who made Airplane was associated with this film, Young Doctors in Love, they completely marketed it as if it yes. was from the it, same people it, who made it. It's not the Zucker Brothers, but it is. this is a post-Airplane movie. Yeah. Somebody said, hey, they just strung together an hour and a half of non-sequiturs and weird sight gags. We can do that. And they did. Isn't it weird that you even think about Airplane, you go, this was a parody of a movie... No one born past 1980 has ever seen. Well, it but was everybody knows Airplane. Airplane was a parody more of a genre. Yeah, I mean, yes, it, it referenced some specific movies. Uh, airport, which airport, was a huge success yeah. when it came out, but, but no one remembers gives a it. Fuck now, but there were plenty of disaster movies, stories set around airports, things of that nature, and this is more of a parody of like. General Hospital yeah. and soap operas of the American in soap opera, which at that time I was actually really and into. hospital dramas. I was super into General Hospital at this point. Really? Time. Oh, I loved wow. it. Man, there's that point. General Hospital went. Uh, Martin and Thomas and I have talked at length about how like there was this weird period in soap operas where they suddenly got big budgets for like about there's about six or seven years where all the soap operas got big budgets and got like big ideas and started doing crazy storylines. You know, all that. Jesus Christ. Didn't you guys go to school? That Luke and Laura period. I could have never seen soap operas because I was going to school. At no, the time. I was going to school, but we saw it after school. You know, when did you see it after school? Well, that... there's video videotapes were already out. So you oh, could set your timers. Look, the shit. only one in my house who watched that shit was my grandma. And she didn't know how to work a VCR. How was <laughs> I ever going to see any of those? Well, regardless, this was the first film uh, directed by Gary Marshall, who went on to do nothing but shit from largely the rest of his career, except for The Flamingo Kid. And uh, League of Their Own wasn't horrible. Did he do a League of Their Own? I could be thinking. I, I think he did. Gary Marshall did a lot of stuff. He did. Gary Marshall He's was kind of. He's a TV director. He was, yeah. He was doing like TV. I think he did a. a, a uh, oh, he did Shirley, Pretty Woman. Pretty Woman. That, you know, he, he was really good at dramedies. You know, basically, I, didn't he also do uh, As Good As It Gets with Jack Nicholson? No. Who was, or no, I'm, you know, I always get him mixed up with James L. Brooks. Yeah, I get, well, because James L. Brooks that, is really talented. Gary Marshall? No. Uh, no Gary Marshall did films like, uh, like uh, some people like Overboard, I'm not one of them. Yeah. Some people like Beaches, I like I'm Frankie and them. Johnny. It wasn't great, but I prefer the play. It did like Access to Eden and the Princess Diaries, and uh, yeah. and then that terrible series Valentine's Day, New Year's oh, Eve, that Mother's Day, bad. all that shit. Like he's not a great you know, film. No, director. he's not. But but that being said, like I don't want shit on a dead guy. Here, yeah, you know, like he was a good gag writer. Love is one of those films everyone has forgotten about, except for people who were alive when it came out. Yeah, and honestly. 
This is kind of a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. It's stupid. It's yeah, but it's, it's fun. airplane level stupid. It's that type of movie, except about soap operas. It's also misogynistic as fuck. Oh, I was well, like, yeah, holy shit. Did everybody just assume nurses are bimbos with big tits. It was the time. It was the time. It was very much of its time. But you know what? I have a soft spot for anything starring Dabney Coleman. Oh, well, yeah. We just don't see enough genius. of. And the story here... Uh, like it's a whole group of new interns into a hospital and uh, Sean Young plays the main love interest. Michael McKean uh, plays the, 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 the new doctor who's like kind of emotionless and doesn't really understand how to talk to people and everything. It's a weird, they would even get together yeah. in, in the first place, but there's this big cast of recognizable. If you've seen movies, at the oh, time. Yeah. people, but like people like Hart, Harry Dean Stanton, Stanton, older people, uh, like a doctor in the yeah. hospital with a, one of the best scenes in the, the thing where oh, he plays yeah. a joke on, on the group of like where he's pretending like he's tasting yeah. urine, the same, which is what's something in it. somebody in my bio one class in college told us. So that's an old joke. But I was like, Oh God, that's the, to- that's a joke I heard in college. So Saul Rubinek, uh, yeah. uh, Hector Elizondo, who ended up being in almost every Gary Marshall film after this because yeah. they became really good friends. They were good buddies. Playing, I think, the standout role yes. in this whole film. He's a mobster who's disguised himself in drag. Yeah, and to, because his dad is in the hospital and can't speak, has something right. in case. He's too terrified to speak is yeah. the medical condition. He, he's got, there's a hit on him by, of all people, the hitman is Michael Richards. Yeah, Kramer from Seinfeld. Yeah. That whole run of the, the both that run between like Kramer, as I'm going to call, I'm just going to call him Kramer, and and, uh, and Hector Elizondo's dad is so funny because every single sequence, like Kramer ends up getting more and more fucked up, like fucks yeah. up the hit and like gets hurt, more and more hurt. He's mistaken for a patient yeah. and he's forced to just stay in the hospital and and subjected to all kinds of horrible tests. And then Hector, Hector Elizondo, who, like I said, is a tough-as-nails mob guy who ends up having a sort of, like, not homophobically treated at all, strangely. No, he, sequence yeah. where, like, a doctor who's sort of in the hospital who's kind of, like, a more gentle soul, yeah. like, is falling for him slash her because he thinks he's, he's the psychiatrist. And, you, and know, you see this hard-as-nails mob guy responding going yeah. like not in a sexy way but in a sort of like i'm actually kind of i can talk about all those things i wanted to do but i couldn't because i was a mob boss weirdly genuine and sweet yeah. in the middle of this totally absurd airplane it is utterly absurd movie. full of sight ga- this is the kind of movie where somebody announces over the pa thanks to a mix-up in the urology department apple juice will not be served today <laughs> yeah you know it's, it's just like, like I said, random it's a, jokes every minute it's an airplane it's like yeah. throw shit against the wall see what sticks but it's just so constantly it, i was worried i would hate this and i didn't because I'd seen it when I was a kid, loved it so much, hadn't seen it since then. And then I was like, oh, that's so much fun still. Yeah. I still like this movie. I mean, there's parts of it that haven't aged that well. But you know what? It, I, I needed a kind of break from some of the heavier stuff I was watching. It's a rated R parody fun. comedy. There's lots of boobs. There's yeah. like lots of like dumb sex jokes. There's lots of just dumb puns. Oh, yeah. And it's ridiculous. Overall, it still kind of holds up. Yeah. It's pretty. It's better than expected. Uh, special feature wise, pretty bare bones. Yeah, it's just you know. there's a commentary by. All right, so this is weird. This is a thing that's happening right now. I'm not with, crazy, but Kino does this a lot. By the way, I don't know what's going on with their deal with Pat Healy and his dad uh, or brother. I think it's. Dad. I think it's. His, I don't know. Uh, Jim Healy, who's a film curator, but there's been a series of films that the two of them had nothing to do with. Nothing, and yet they're the two people doing the commentary. 
And I'm like, why are they doing the commentary uh, here? Were these the same guys? Now, I don't know if these are the same guys who were on the Pritzi's honor. But yeah, I, I think I, it was the same guys. But I noticed that with the Kino disc. And, you know, look, Kino doesn't have Criterion's money, I'm guessing. You know, they they not they can't necessarily get everybody. And in the case of, like, a film like this where Gary Marshall and, you know, is not obviously no longer available, you want to get someone who can talk about the film. You get some guys who are, they you know, they're knowledgeable. They do a good job. But, yeah, you do kind of feel underwhelmed by the fact that they couldn't get anybody from the movie to come in and talk about it. Yeah, agreed. Uh, weird, because the bulk of these people are still alive. Yeah, I mean, Gary Marshall's gone, but, you yeah, know, everybody else is pretty much alive. All right, so uh, you didn't get to see this, and you really do need to watch Westworld Season 1, because well, I think it's kind of game-changing television. HBO has finally put out the Blu-ray set, which has been long anticipated, about the same week that they announced that, uh, as opposed to earlier announcements, the second season wouldn't come out till 2019, the second season will come out in late 2018, which is Exciting oh, I thought know. they were already on their second season. No, no. Oh, they, wow. This is one of these cases that the show cost so much to do that HBO was like, let's wait and see. Let's put out the whole show and look at the numbers and decide whether or not it's worth spending the money to go forward, creating a season that could have ended with the one season, right? Right. And it could have. It's one of those shows you could watch just this first well, I, season I, I, I and I may have go, to borrow it because I haven't seen it yet. So sell I, me on this movie. What do I need to know or on this, this TV, TV series? Show. I mean, the, the biggest thing that you have to know about Westworld, the TV series, as opposed to the movie, assuming you've ever seen the movie, is that in the movie, the humans, the guests... To this big theme park. Yes, this is based on a Michael Crichton novel. And yes, it resembles Jurassic Park in that way. Theme park gone terribly wrong. But in the original movie, the guests, the human beings, are the protagonists. The robots that are in this artificial Western world are the the villains. This new version, it's not so much that the guests are the villains... Definitely, the robots are the protagonists as they are becoming self-aware, as they are starting to learn about, like, wait, I feel like I've done this before. There's a lot of deja vu sequences, but I don't want to go too deep into this. Obviously, we can't have a discussion about this, really, because Marco hadn't seen it, but uh, we did a episode-by-episode thing on the site, so you can find that if you just put in the search engine, Westworld, you can find reviews for every single episode of the show where we talked about it, because it was well worth talking about every episode. This is really one of my favorite moments of last year's television so I was very curious what's going to go on with this Blu-ray. And yes, there is a lot of bonus features here. A lot of the things that are, are in it are kind of short. Uh, there are a few things that extend uh, a little bit longer of the three discs that are here. Um, each disc has kind of like one or two longer ones and, and several shorter ones. A little disappointed in the gag reel, which is only about a minute 30, which does this whole thing as if they were like just being dramatic like leading up, you're showing the straight up dramatic scene the way we saw it and then goes, ah, this is the fuck up where somebody <laughs> laughed or farted or something, but it's only a minute and a half. And I feel like a show, anything that's this serious and this iconic should have a better gag reel than this. <laughs> Cause those are the great moments. Uh, one of the best things here is really just, uh, uh, Nolan talking about the show and a commentary of the final, uh, episode 
called Crafting the Narrative, which is well worth your time. Uh, the shocking thing for me is, you remember when Lost came out and it was filled with Easter eggs on Blu-ray? Like uh. every season had tons of little hidden Easter eggs. To my knowledge, that may be the last Blu-ray that has come out that did have Easter eggs. Easter eggs sort of fell by the wayside somehow. Well, yeah, it became a, they became a gimmick like anything else. But like, it's a thing that like if the, you go to the menu screen and then you pu- push up and then push left, you'll highlight a little but thing that's and then awesome unlock something. With a certain type of thing, and Westworld yeah. is the type of show that should have had Easter eggs. Maybe. And uh, as far as I've seen. There aren't any here, which I actually found highly disappointing because, I mean, this is a show that's put out web accompanying websites that are filled with secret codes like that, like things that you do to put in that secret stuff pops up. I mean, why wouldn't the Blu-ray set have it? That being said, this comes with a really great booklet of like just packed with like images and like, like cool, like maps and like stuff that we didn't have access for. I mean, they really did make this overall well worth your time. So I'm going to give a big thumbs up. This is my pick of the week. Westworld. I I think they still did an incredibly solid job. You sold me on it and and I'll try to borrow it from you when it becomes available. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe I might want to sleep with it for a couple more weeks. All right. If you've been sleeping with it, I don't want it. I hug it like a body pillow, Marco. Oh God. (laughs) Where's your hand between two pillows? (laughs) Uh, all right, so moving on to our our weekly Chinese film, yeah. as we do, or, or just Asian, not always Chinese, but, you know, more times than not. We have God of War. All right, let's face it. Director Gordon Chan, who certainly has had a storied career as a director, making a lot of very well-loved films over the years, wanted to make his version of... Uh, basically, he like, you look at the last... Like, international massive Chinese hit was probably John Woo's Red Cliffs, Mm -hmm. which is well worth your time. It's an epic war movie that delivers in every way. This is Jordan Gordon Chan going, I want to make my own Red Cliff. And guess what, buddy? This ain't ain't it. Yeah, it wasn't. I mean, I have to admit, not having seen Red Cliff, although having heard about it. It's great. This almost, almost. Most was kind of in my pick of the week until about halfway through when I started thinking, oh, this is still going on. Yeah, it's super long. It's super long. Well, like I said, it's like Red, Red it, Cliff it, was basically two movies just crammed together into one. Yeah. Um, this is like 1557 Japanese samurai warriors uh, are invading China as pirates. Uh, they're, they're attacking coastline villages. Uh, the Chinese the uh like government uh the emperor has no idea exactly how to deal with this. Right. He's got this general played by Samuel Hung who doesn't get as much screen time as you no, think. No, you really didn't think he'd get. be you thought he would have been more. I mean, he he's a guy who's trying to put this rebellion down and you know and he he's tra- a traditional warrior. He's doing it so formalized that there's almost like they have Even a, the pirates laugh about it. He shows up at the same time yeah, every day. Yeah, he's got an appointment to show up to try and beat them back and they've like They've got a whole barrier set they up, have and a, they've like they're impregnable fortress. Yeah, and then so basically they're like, okay, we're gonna get this new guy played by Vincent Ziao to come in, who's using modern warfare right. techniques to try and take out these guys, which of course is considerably more successful. Uh, and there's a lot of like him training villagers. A lot of like there's a lot of like 
Chinese communist rhetoric hidden under yeah. the surface here. Like, oh, oh definitely. The, it's the, the success only comes when we you all fight together. The common man and yeah. we all fight together type of thing. And that's, you know, whatever. That wasn't and again, judging. Like in, but, in all you know, those Chinese films, you know, it's like, I mean, if you've seen enough Chinese films, you know that the Japanese are basically Nazis. There are Nazis. You know, there was a time in our country when, you know, being a Nazi was definitely not a cool thing to be. Uh, yeah, when you watch a Chinese film, the Japanese are in it. Generally speaking, they're treated they're about it. the same way the Nazis yeah. are in any given American or British But film. in this film, I think they are given a little bit of dimension, which is kind of cool. Uh, but yeah, it's there's a clever plot here where it's like the Japanese are trying to invade China, but rather than to officially declare war, they're doing it through these pirates. Uh, but they have embedded within them, they have, you know, a number of trained Japanese warriors. And Samo Hung is smart enough to go, hey, wait a minute. This isn't just a bunch of pirates. This is something bigger. And, you know, so you have a little bit political intrigue baked into this story, which I found interesting. And when they finally get to some of the big battles, which are all very well staged, oh, yeah. they're done within a city. And I was expecting, look, ever since Lord of the Rings, we've had to deal with like, you know, 10,000 armies, you know, you know, yeah. fighting against battle on, on this huge, armies. on this huge plane. And it just gets tiresome, but they actually stage it within like the alleyways of a small medieval uh, Chinese village. And it's really visually striking. Well, that's the thing is the production value here. Oh, it's beautiful. On. It's that's gorgeous. what kept my interest. I mean, you watch this and you go. The characters aren't that interesting, no. but the production value is so above yeah. and beyond what you'd expect. Yeah. It's so well done. I mean, it's all done. It, it, like you just looking at this film, you're thinking this does look like Red Cliff. Yeah, it just doesn't have that quality of like yeah. emotional content and characters you really care about because it just has too many characters. Every, it has a lot and of it characters. Jumps around so fast and nobody's really given. And a it lot gets of really choppy by the third act. There were yeah. literally scenes that started in the daytime and then suddenly they were nighttime. And I was like, wait a minute, what the hell just happened? Yeah. You know, it, it, it's a shame because, it, like I said, for a while it was my contender for pick of the week. But the longer it went, the choppier it became. Yeah. And, you know, it just got harder to sit through it, which is a shame because there is a lot of good stuff within it. It's a it, lot of clever stuff. Like, watching. Yeah. I, for me, the pleasure was the, the character of Kui Jin Vincent Zhao's character of, like, his, like, oh, here's my clever, like, new things to bring into strategy yeah. of watching those play out. And you're like, oh, this is fun. He's like, like, oh, they have guns and our shields, which are designed to block arrows, don't block bullets. Let's make better shields. You know? There's also disturbing shit, too, though, here from an American context of, like, the Japanese have hired all these pirates to come in. And, like, the pirates, basically, their whole co their pay is I get to rape whoever oh, I yeah. want. And, like, there's one Japanese guy, one, who's like, that's not cool, dude. Yeah, that violates the samurai code. Yeah, and everybody else is like, whatever, we're trying to win battles yeah. here. And I'm like, I kind of feel like that wasn't really given the gravitas. Yeah, as a, there is like, one guy who says. There's multiple scenes of them raping Japanese yeah. women. There's like, one guy who oh says, look, yeah, we know it's awful, but, you know. We. This is what we can pay. Chill with. out, dude. This is you what we got to do. Want the Weinstein Company to be successful or what? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So no, let's just don't bring it up before Oscar campaign. All right. Uh, there's not a lot extra here. No, like literally really not. not even two minutes. Just making a couple featurettes. Up. So it's it, it's you know I mean it's it's an interesting almost ran. 
Yeah. Like, there's enough here that if you like that sort of big historical uh, Chinese action film, that it definitely stands above a lot of the other stuff in the pack. But honestly, the one to see is Red Cliffs. I'm just going to say. Fair enough. Yeah. All right, so we're going to move into horror, and I know October is over, but we've got a lot of horror movies to talk about here. Some of which are really great, some of which not so great, but some of which consider to be classic, but we have things to say about that. But we're going to start with a new release, which is called Escape Room. And full disclosure, man, I love going to escape rooms. I just, I need to go to more of them. So far, I've only done two. They're both through House of Torment, which you can see if you, you uh, go on our YouTube page, you can see there's a whole thing about like uh, our, our most recent experiment going to a escape room uh, through them. It's just so much fun, that idea like you're put in a room, you're given a series of puzzles to solve, yeah. and you have to figure it out. And I love that kind of shit. And I knew it was only going to be so long before horror movies decided we're going to make a horror movie about it. And yeah, so, so this movie called Escape Room is just that. Where it's apparently this- there's another movie called Escape Room because I was trying to find is some there? research on this, and there was another movie that actually had like some well-known actor in it. And I was like, that's not the same that's movie that's this in this one. stack. Yeah. Uh, and I don't know if that movie's any good, but boy, I don't think this one is. Oh, I disagree. Oh, well, that's fair. You're, yeah. you're welcome to disagree. Let me rephrase this. There were aspects of this movie I really liked until about maybe towards the last 15 minutes yeah, where it agreed. fell apart for me. Agreed. The very uh, ending of this kind of like doesn't. Stick the landing. I didn't think it was terrible. No, it wasn't terrible, but, but it it, did, yeah. it doesn't stick the landing in the way you wanted it to because I feel like it lost the thread that made the rest of the film work so well, which is people figuring out the puzzle. Well, that part was fine. The puzzle aspect of it, and, and I get the appeal from a filmmaking standpoint. You have basically uh, one or two very small sets that are kind of intricately art directed, but still affordable. And, you know, it, it's a fairly contained type of story. I get that from a, a filmmaking perspective, why that would be so budget conscious. And also you're dealing with, as you mentioned, a phenomenon that is become very popular of late. The problem for me with this movie is, as we find out at the beginning, uh, there's a uh, particular character. His name escapes me right now, and it doesn't matter because I hated him anyway. Uh, it's his birthday. 30th and his, birthday. Yeah. And his girlfriend has got him this surprise trip to an escape room, and all of his friends are invited they get picked up. Oh, not up. all of the sermons. Remember? Except the for one, one guy, they were like, no, you're not invited. <laughs> it, well, yeah, and that, that also plays a little bit into the end. It's really just a red herring. Uh, so they all get wind up in this escape room, and they realize, oh, holy shit, the puzzles are actually going to kill us if we get them wrong. Yeah, they. it takes a little while. At first, you're just watching people in a really clever escape yeah. room where you're like very elaborately designed and you're like oh this is cool I, as i'm watching this and having done escape rooms i'm like this really to some extent feels like an actual escape room there's some stuff that's esoteric to the point where you're like no one would ever no ever one would ever figure do that. that out sure uh but like on the whole you're like okay this feels realistically like in a, a real escape room yeah. Uh, but that point when they realize that the, the room is early on has separated them into different things and the guy's girlfriend, the one who bought him the ticket is like, they reveal trapped naked in a cage right. just watching. And if they them. don't escape, she's going to die. Yeah, exactly. I'd like, it's that point towards the end where it gets back to her that it yeah. starts to fall apart a bit. But watching these guys figure out these puzzles 
is fun. There's a little bit too much of what you is just way too common in horror movies that I'm not fond of is like everybody's an asshole and everybody yes. hate actually secretly hates each other. Yeah. Like, that, that is a little irritating, but I did have a lot of fun watching the, the puzzles play out. The problem for me with this movie stems largely from that fact that one, I hated all of these people. And I get it. I understand it's a common trope in horror. It's like, well, if we make you hate these characters, then you can't wait until they get, you know, <laughs> yeah. horribly disemboweled. The thing is, you know, I don't work that way. I have to actually give a shit. That way, I'm more frightened if I feel like, oh, my God, these people could really die. As opposed to, I don't give a fuck about this person. I don't care if he gets, you know, cut in half. The one thing I'll give this movie, apart from the fact that... Yes, the puzzles and the design of the puzzles and the environments are clever. About five minutes into this movie, I figured out who the killer was. About 10 or 15 minutes into the movie, I figured out why the killer was doing it. And in the last 15 minutes, the movie said, oh, actually, you're wrong about all of that. And I was like, holy shit, this movie totally... Just, you know, it completely pulled the rug out from under me. Normally, I appreciate that in a film, but they do it in such a ham-handed, out of the nowhere. It's like, wait a minute, who's this other person? Wait, why well, no, are they doing because this? They did it, what does this matter? They and did it in the effort to try and set it up as a franchise. Yeah, which because, I also hate. Yeah. Because it's very much in that saw, bullshit, moralistic, I am really doing you a service. You know, it's like, yeah. well, well, you may have escaped. But are you really free? I'm like, no, fuck you, yeah, bullshit. No, it's just very ham-handed when it tries to get more realistic, and that, which is only there to try and set it up as a franchise type type of thing. I completely agree with you. I would have preferred to find out that it was in fact like who we thought it was. Yeah, or at least like because that would have at least been plausible. Yeah, but uh, not necessarily plausible, but like it, it would have been acceptable, and more interesting, yeah, perhaps. But the film does want to – I mean, admittedly, if they made a sequel to this, I would still watch it because I love the con conceit. Yeah. I mean, but it does bring in an uh, more so than even Saw elements from a horror film that is still criminally underseen, Cube. It, it did uh, remind which, me a lot of Cube. Which which I think that's its strongest like connection. This, that's this strongest is Cube moments. mixed in with a little bit of the Saw franchise, but with none of their strengths. And – even less likable characters. It, 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 it does basically become torture porn with this faux moralistic bullshit ending that just was not convincing. But, you know, we'll see where it goes. Like I said, I'd say this is about a three-quarter good movie, and, but that last quarter is just awful. I think if you are a fan of Cube or you're a fan of doing escape rooms, I think there's more than enough here to keep you interested while still going. You Really, that's the best way you could have finished this up? What are you going to do? Yeah. Let's go into a... Hmm. Oh, Classic boy. is a strong word yeah. for, for the 1963 H.G. Lewis film Blood Feast, but Maybe. it is definitely the beginning of the the beginning of the splatter film. Yeah, the Blood beginning Feast of the first real the first gore film. film. And Herschel Gordon Lewis likes to remind you that this is the first splatter film. The one charming thing about this, and this is uh, this is an Arrow release, yeah. and as Arrow releases go. It's packed with special oh, features, man. which they makes not, it worth the price. They of did not fuck around with the special and, features. And this is actually part of a much bigger, I think, like 17 disc box set they had put out, which was basically the collected works of Herschel Gordon oh, Lewis. Oh, no, I think it's just this. 
No, well, I, I seem to recall the reading that there was a that they had put out a box set, but this was just two of those films as part of that. Okay, set. maybe this was okay. But oh, yeah, either yeah, way, there was a the Herschel Gordon Lewis, right. he, and they got his participation on this project before he passed away a couple years ago. Uh, yes, it is an important film in the sense that it is historically considered the first splatter film, and Herschel Gordon Lewis loves to remind everybody of that. While, and this is part of his charm. Mysteriously still alive. What? Mysteriously, H.G. Lewis still alive. Did I say H.G. Lewis? Herschel Gordon Lewis? No, 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 he's dead. It's the same. Oh, I think he's still alive. No, he's dead. He passed away about a year or two ago. Oh, okay. Well, he. It was recently that that he passed away. Uh, But he. Oh, you're right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, At a ripe old age of 90. Uh, But one of the charms of this set. Because uh, it features a commentary on Blood Feast, which, by the way, is only about an hour long. It's barely over an hour. Yeah, barely. Uh, he's very charming in the sense that this is a guy who's completely willing to make crap. He's like, he's like, no, it's not a good movie, but it is the first of its kind. And, you know, we knew that we could get people to come to the theater if we promoted it in a certain way and we exploited certain aspects of it. And we put that in the marketing and in the poster. And... The thing with this film, for all of its quote-unquote importance, Herschel Gordon Lewis made a piece of crap. Yeah. But it was a new kind of crap. And of that, he's proud. And, you know, I I will give this some amount of credit. Like you said, it's barely over an hour. It moves incredibly quickly. There is no fucking around in this film with, like, let's build up. A bunch of, like, drama. There's no suspense. There's no like, horror. It's just this dude who's, like, obsessed with the, the Egyptian, Egyptian goddess Ishtar, Ishtar, this cult who's decided that he needs to do human sacrifice, and so he's murdering people. He's also a caterer, which he's is convenient. He's also a caterer <laughs> of Egyptian goods, which plays into the plot. I mean, this is ridiculous. There's a tiny bit of uh, of, like, sexiness, but a lot of, like... You know, gore that's weird because you're like, you always hear this is one of the goriest movies ever made. And it's certainly filled with gore, but not in an art way. They no. just kind of like went, that girl got killed, so let's just throw a bunch of animal intestines yeah. on top we of her. We pulled her tongue out. So we just bought a real tongue. Yeah. Like from the butcher shop. We bought a cow tongue and, and just throw fake blood all over it. And we just pulled it out of her mouth. That yeah. was it. I mean, it's still really gross. And nothing's like, oh, that looks super fake. It's just like, it. it's like... There was after this with people who were into gore movies, they wanted to see that they want to see knives cutting into people. Yeah, this is more like people walk and, in and, and like, oh, wow, this woman's been disemboweled. She's yeah. covered in blood and giblets. Yeah. I mean, that's basically it. And they're like, oh, there's no fucking suspense to so, this at all. It's so goofy and kind of colorful and fast moving and absurd that I actually did have fun watching it. And I yeah. didn't expect to. But regardless of any of that, just say bonus features. This shit goes crazy. And and you know what? I should be, in all fairness, before we delve into the bonus features, one of the bonus features is actually a whole other movie called Scum of the Earth, which I actually liked more. It's still not a good movie, but at least it had a plot. I, I'm not sure that necessarily makes it better. Yeah. I, like, And that's not a horror film. No, it's not. It, and again, Herschel Gordon Lewis said this was like the first roughie or one of teenagers. them. Troubled teenager who gets, you know, she's trying to get into college. She agrees to do some nudie photos. Next thing you know, she's being extorted by this the scum of the earth who won't, uh, you know, either she gets... 
either she has to do increasingly more hardcore uh, photo shoots or they're going to release her photos out into the world and blackmail her. It's scuzzy as hell, but what's interesting is it has the same actor who is the detective in Blood Feast, who also shows up in what honestly is the most interesting special feature on this film, which is like a 20-something minute, uh, basically industrial short about how to carve meat, (laughs) starring of all people, or or co-starring, I should say, Harvey Harvey Corman, which, believe me, this is not, this is not a good movie. But you know what? Useful information. Like, it really is an industrial short. It's like, you know, gee, Ed, you always carve meat so well. How do you do it? Well, you know, I someone taught me how to do it. It's really easy, you know. You just, <laughs> and I'm thinking, I was watching going, damn, that's really good After advice. you murdered your eighth teenager, you really start to get a feel for You this. have to cut against the grain of the muscle. Yeah. And you find the bone there. And then you insert the knife in at an angle and separate the ligament. And then you can create a steak that's actually big enough for everybody if you cut it into equal portions, <laughs> cross-grain-wise. You know, after you've removed the, move the bone, of course, you know, I was like, this is actually useful, goddammit. But I, I, that was something that Herschel Gordon Lewis did. He moved out of commercials and industrial shorts and thought, I can make these really quick, cheap, shitty movies, play them at the drive-ins, and people will pay me. And, and it worked. And, and it, it worked. Yeah. You know, and it was, he was so successful at it, it's odd that he actually quit. And then, in like the last 20, 30 years of his life... He actually just moved into the world of direct marketing yeah. and wrote a lot of books about it. That was his real moneymaker. He's yeah. famous as a filmmaker, but really where he made his money was teaching people how to send out basically junk mail and do robocalls. And for that, he is burning in hell to this day. <laughs> well, the real the real gold here, I think, is a commentary uh, by uh, Mike Vranny from Something Weird Video with Herschel, Herschel Gordon Lewis. Yeah. And then... 46 minutes of outtakes from Jesus. Blood Feast. I couldn't which, like, watch them all. If you, no, of course not. <laughs> who could, except for people who are really interested in this sort of thing, and that's who this is for. I mean, this is like this is a, a movie to put on in the background at a party, Yeah, unless you're just a history of horror gore fan, uh, in which case this is an exhaustive collection of stuff about... Exhaustive the, and exhausting. The definitive... First gore, really hardcore gore film. All right, so moving up to modern day, we have Annabelle Creation continuing the tradition of uh, making sequels to mediocre, like, horror films coming from, like, like you had Ouija 2, which was shockingly good after the horror, horrible, not horror, horrible (laughs) Ouija 1. Now, Annabelle, which is a spinoff of the Conjuring universe, the first film was so terrible it was just like oh my god why are would anyone waste their time making this film at all well this one they got director david f sandberg who did this a surprisingly good lights out and once again like ouija 2 it's a considerably better sequel than the original film this isn't even a sequel this is a prequel, a prequel. to a prequel a prequel to a prequel which you like, know regardless if they go back any further it's going to be about the haunted clay used to craft the porcelain body of this doll and they might very well i mean like if you've if you've seen the conjuring the first conjuring you know annabelle is like a haunted doll you know which was a big part of the 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 early part of the film and then the like I said, the original film, the, the spinoff is just so bad. It's not even barely worth yeah. discussing this one, bringing it back, uh, 
to the creation, like what put the spirit in the doll in the first place is surprisingly entertaining. Yeah, no, I enjoyed this. I mean, it's not a great movie. No. It's good at what it does. I think it suffers in that, you know, the, okay, let's, let's kind of backtrack a little bit here. So Annabelle Lee, as everybody knows from the previous films, is this weird doll. Well, the doll came from somewhere and it was crafted by, uh, the Anthony LaPaglia character who is a professional doll maker. And he is married to Miranda Otto, who God damn it. I haven't seen Miranda Otto in much. And really she's a good enough actress that she should be in better stuff. Agreed. Even better stuff than this, but they all do their best. They have a terrible tragedy. They lose their young daughter. Yeah. And uh, they basically, they are heartbroken. They move out into this huge old house and they go ahead and after many years of just suffering in silence, decide to open up an orphanage. All of these little girls are suddenly in the house and a nun as a caretaker. And then, of course, before long, one of these little girls is going to find this doll and all kinds of horrible shit is going to happen. The Conjuring films and all the films that have been offshot from that, after looking at these, I have to conclude that they are successful purely on the fact that they can generate good jump scares and they are successful works of production design. Yeah, agreed. Because every single one of those films goes, you know what? We're going to find a house and it's not going to be any house. It's just going to be a huge house full of rooms, alleyways. Crawl spaces. I, I, I would say the first Conjuring is really a completely solid horror film. They're they're really just but, you know these big environments that are funhouse rides. I mean, even uh, uh, Conjuring Two, which was set in, like in a tenement flat, it was like a council estate. It was basically right. welfare housing. It's the biggest welfare housing so, place you've ever seen. The Conjuring Two. There's a similar complaint I have to that. I do to this is that it overestimates the attention of their audience because this is much longer than it needs to be. A lot uh, at 110 minutes, yeah. as was the Conjuring Two, which is over two hours. It way too long. Uh, you're like, no, it's a horror movie. We should always be just hovering around 90 minutes because it's about set pieces. It's not even about the story. It's and just moving to the one it, next exquisitely and, but crafted I get set it. piece. They want to develop characters as well, and that's good. You should. You they should shouldn't have, have so many characters. characters then. But, like, yeah, there's a problem. All the girls a, are interchangeable. There's a problem that, yeah, just that. They're, they are, to some extent. I'm more interested in Anthony LaPaglia and his wife than I am in And Miranda Otto is forced to be off-screen 90% of the movie. Yeah. It's a waste. But that being said, they do get some real scares here. The yeah. atmosphere is good. These guys have a system for making these films. And they're to all some period films. Yeah, that is working, but it still needs some tweaks. They're yeah. not there yet. It, they're um, too long. Annabelle creation is fun. It's just not an all-time classic or anything. I'm a little irritated at the post-credit scene that's the whole just set up to the spinoff yeah. of the Demon Nun from Conjuring 2, which I right. still thought was kind of a... They, like, they've reached the Saturday Night Live level. It was, it was Marilyn Manson. Come on. We yeah. look at it, we're like, that's Marilyn Manson in a nun outfit. That's yeah. not scary. I'm but, sorry. But, but what they've done is the Conjuring, is basic, the Conjuring series is basically doing what Lord Michaels has been doing for years. Like, people like this character. Let's just build a whole movie about this yeah. character who was interesting for five minutes. Minutes, and now we're going to make you sit through it for two hours. Well, the Blu-ray, we, we, we did do a full theatrical review of this. You can Google that, uh, or not Google, you can search it on the site. Our search engine will bring up any movie we've ever talked about if you put in that title, including this one. There's an audio co- commentary with uh, the director, 
There's uh, 12 minutes of deleted scenes. There's a 42-minute behind-the-scenes video with Sandberg trying to talk about how to direct a film. That's actually the best thing on this It really is. Uh, There's a five-minute The Conjuring Universe, which is just a straight-up EPK. And then there's two shorts. I did not watch these. They were actually good. They're very much in the wheelhouse. Uh, They're largely silent. It's all about sound effects, about environment. Uh, and it is, they were directed by Sandberg and his partner, who is the only actress in them. Mm-hmm. Uh, so she acts in all of them. And, you know, they're very simple, but you want, you feel like, oh, this could be like three minutes in, this could be like a three minute scene in one of the Conjuring films. I can see how that got him the gig. Yeah. Because it feels very much in that same style. The problem, of course, is after a while, that could become, very generic. My only issue with this film really is the characters are fairly weak. The two best members of the cast are spend most of their time off screen and are underwritten. And yes, you have all these brilliantly staged set pieces in this haunted house environment that you just sort of glide effortlessly from one set piece to another. It's just so much style and not enough substance for me. I would agree with that. Uh, next up is a film that I've been wanting to see for a really <laughs> oh, yeah. long time. And a just film that was once considered lost. Yeah, uh, The Old Dark House. Uh, this is not the 1963 William Castle really bad remake of it. This is the original 1932 pre-code yeah. horror comedy. One of the very first horror comedies, yeah, mind by you. James Whale. Yeah, it wasn't the first horror yeah. comedy, but it was one and of the first ones. And yes, the director, Bride of Fucking Frankenstein, yeah. which is probably the best of the universal horror yeah. films. And by this time, Karloff was a big enough star yeah. that he got top billing star, after Frankenstein. Star this Mars was Karloff. His, yeah, this yeah. one of his first top billing roles. And let's not forget uh, Gloria Stewart oh, and yeah. Charles, Charles Lawton. I mean, this is... Melvin like, Douglas. I mean, these, there's... Oh, great cast. Yeah. Wonderful cast. Maybe, beautiful atmosphere. idea is, is like these travelers, uh, like... At first, just one car and then another car afterwards who were like, there's this terrible rainstorm in a very remote area of Wales. Uh, they There's this huge mansion and they're kind of like, well, the roads got washed out. So we're stopping because we have no choice to ask to be let in. Weird, creepy, fucked up people live in it, including Boris Karloff as like the, the like He's silent... The- alcoholic, violent, yeah. like, uh, uh, butler, butler in the house. And on the, you know, it's weird. This works better as a comedy yeah. in terms of watch sheer watchability than it does as a horror movie. The dialogue is so scary. sharp and very funny. It's very like on, yeah, it's on top of things. There's a weird out of nowhere love story that comes in in the second Yeah, half it's really rushed. You're just like, wow, that was out of nowhere. I mean, literally by the end of the film, and this is one night, these two people are engaged to be married who've yeah. never met before. You're like, and and Mighty, this fuck? is again a movie that's about 72 minutes long. Maybe it's just a little over an hour. Yeah. It's very short. So it's like, why did you just propose to this person? But uh, a lot of this is like what makes it so beautiful. It's like it's so gorgeously shot. It's gorgeously like shot. All the shadows. Gloria and the Stewart is and... luminous in this. Oh, I mean, yeah. she looks like. I mean, this is what you think of when you think of a 1930s Hollywood starlet. She is just lit beautifully in this white silken gown, amidst these sort of gray stone interior. Uh, great atmosphere. On this film. Beautiful production design, great lighting, good makeup on Karloff. I totally but the story so slight. I totally understand why a lot of people are like, this is kind of a Halloween classic, but it's a Halloween classic in the same way you might look at something like Murder by Death is. Yeah. It's less 
it's less a scary movie than it is a funny movie poking fun at scary movies that yeah. came out before it, which is going to only be interesting to people who like those type of movies yeah. to begin with, I suspect. But it is, it's a minor classic. A very minor it, classic. It's not as good as I was hoping it was going to be, but it yeah. still has so many fascinating things about it that I think this is it, well it, worth yeah. watching. Um, there's a lot of really funny moments. There's a lot of, like... Just shots that you're like, God damn, dude! James Whale was a m- yeah. I mean, you know. these things. I mean, with with an old 35 millimeter camera and these old style Klieg light, and yet just so much rich texture, so much uh, volume in terms of like l- areas of light and dark. Just a beautiful use of black and white. Yeah, it's it's almost a shame that when you finally reveal <clears throat> the true threat. It's so underwhelming. Yeah, it really is. Because everything the, up to that was so good. Towards the end, the the storyline as it is sort of peters out. But, you know, whatever. There's a lot of bonus features here. There's an audio commentary track by Gloria Stewart, who is a lot of fun to listen to. There's a audio commentary by a James Whale biographer, James Curtis. There's a conversation with Sarah Karloff, who was quite old at the time that she was doing this, uh, that... It seems like she wasn't entirely clear what was going on. Um, um, there is a archival piece with Curtis Harrington talking about what he had to do to just yeah. save this film to where people could yeah. like see it. And, and almost as a sidebar, because we reviewed a Curtis Harrington film recently, Ruby, which, to be fra- fair, neither of us were particularly impressed no. by. No, but he not. was an interesting individual and an interesting yeah. director. And one of his things is, when he was a very young man... Uh, just starting out, even though now he's considered a, a sort of founder of queer cinema at the time, nothing like that existed. Guys like James Whale were kind of doing that on the sly, just coding well, yeah. that. James their Whale films. later, we found out, was gay. Yeah. And, and, and had definitely influenced his cinema. Yeah. And, but and, in a way that was not. But he befriended overt. Curtis Harrington when they were very, when he was very young and Whale was already very old. And by the time Harrington got over to Universal, you know, he said, you know, he started looking for the films of his old friend. And one of these was The Old Dark House, which had been considered virtually lost. So it's a minor classic. But for whatever Harrington's merits as a director are, we do owe him a debt of thanks for just making sure this film did not disappear. Weird thing that, like, when it gets towards the end and there's like they keep talking about like, oh, the 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 patriarch who's very sick like there was actually it was actually a woman yeah playing the patriarch because it was the oldest person he could find yeah. well yeah it was still wearing but, like old age makeup yeah, even on but top still of that. somewhat transgressive and also of course there was another actor who appeared in a bride of frankenstein who i'm forgetting but just very clearly gay yeah and you know and the way that Whale puts those characters in there without and, really explaining or justifying Charles them. Lawton, who clearly is playing a, a gay man, but it never... I don't like, really view no, Charles No, it's the whole thing. Like, he shows up with his lady, and, like, there's this whole thing where, where she's, like... Because she's the one who falls in love with the other guy who's shown up. And, like, oh, no. We're, like, I thought he liked me, but apparently yeah, he just wanted me to hang around yeah, with him. Yeah, a little bit cold is there. Like, if you'll excuse the term, and please do, she is completely fag-hagging him. Well, like, in a term before anybody was saying anything like that, and now that right. we're after But she's also she's that. also a chorus girl, which in the... Yeah. Which is basically code for a prostitute. Yeah. She, you know, it, it's... You can appreciate this film once you start looking at those other levels. On its surface level which I think is where most people will want to engage with it initially. It 
it's a very slight film, but it is a lot of fun, yeah. and it is nice to look at. Uh, it's well it's worth wonderfully it. restored, and again, just a marvel because so many films from this era and before are forever lost. So it's always great when a film like this is found. So moving up about 50 up. years to oh, 1986. Something that should uh, have been lost. Uh, Lionsgate's re-release that they've been steadily doing of uh, the Vestron horror collection, yeah. some of which are worth more seeing than others. We get Slaughter High, originally called, and I didn't know this, April Fool's Day, which yes. is interesting because very shortly after this was another film called April Fool's right. Day, which I actually have a very soft spot in my heart for because it's, I still think, one of the most laugh-out-loud twist endings of a film since the game. But, which, uh, oh, oh, God, I hate... When we were talking about Escape Room, I almost mentioned the game because that's another bullshit moralistic ending. I'm sorry, I worship despise. the game. I think it's amazing. You try to fucking kill me, I will not hug you at the end and thank you for it. <laughs> that is bullshit. That has never happened in the history of humanity. I'm not arguing with you about <laughs> no. the game unless we get a copy of it. <laughs> yeah, fair about. enough. Slaughter High, which is, I grew up, not on this movie, I grew up seeing this cover on the video store. Oh, yeah. I mean, Vestron had these great covers. Even movies I never watched. When you handed me that in a sack, I was like, oh my God, I recognize this. And as I found out, as is so often the case, the cover has nothing to do with the movie. No, one of those, like, you go, I always meant to pick this up at some point. Yeah. It was one of those, I figure I'll get around to it because I'm the type of guy I go to a video store and rent everything they have eventually. Just never got around to it. And this is like, I mean, come on. It's watchable, but it This is a cheap slasher film yeah. that has just enough of a comedic edge to it and just enough of a creative kills to make it worth your while. That's really it. If you like slasher films a lot, but this is no ultimate classic. I mean, it's a decent fix-up yeah. of an old film. It, it, it's a bunch of people who are way too old to be playing teenagers. Man, we're talking about way too old. Way this may be old. the record holder for way too old yeah. with the lead character, I, uh, Carolyn Monroe, when they early on show her in here, and she's clearly like 32 30. or well, something. Well, and, and they know. try to save it by setting it up that, you know, the story, the main story takes place 10 years later. <laughs> A bunch of popular kids torment the high school nerd. They do all kinds of mean pranks to him, and it eventually and he, yeah. he gets... One of their gags goes horribly awry. He's terribly disfigured, goes insane, disappears, you know, into an asylum or something. And 10 years later, they go, hey, let's we got invited to a reunion on April Fool's Day at our old college, our old high school, which is conveniently decrepit and abandoned. And they're like, well, I guess the party's here. And I'm like, what sane person would actually walk into that building at that point? Right. But they do. And before long. They all start getting picked off one by one in some ways that are genuinely interesting and, and visually clever. Uh, unfortunately, the characters are so thin and so miscast. And part of the hilarity is that this is a British production, which I didn't realize, which is why half the cast is like either British or Americans who've been working in Britain for so long, they've kind of lost their accent. But they decided we could sell this movie if we sold it as a bunch of American teens in a high school, and it clearly doesn't look like an American high school, and nobody really sounds like an American teenager. Yeah, very, very true. Um, I mean, it wasn't without its charms, but, you know, not very highly recommended. No, I agree. It's I, I still had fun with it. It's, it's short. 
It moves quickly. Yeah. The, some of the kills are like kind of laughably fun. They're not great effects, but you're like, okay, that's kind of hysterical. Like there's a whole sequence with the, the you know, you've got to have the character that gets naked for no reason. Like yes. there's a character who's like, oh, I got a little bit of goo on me. So I'm going to, in this abandoned high school yeah. I've shown up to for a reunion that I would have, anyone would have just left immediately when they saw that the high school was closed. I like. I'm gonna go find a bathroom so I can take off all my clothes yeah. and take a bath. Right. Or two killer. Or, or where two, she where she gets it, where acid comes into it and so she dissolves yeah. into a skeleton. It, it, You're the, like, the the the, the eno- amount of work that the killer had to do to make any of this happen is insane. Uh, you know what? I could go on and on about how messed up this movie is, but let's move on. Yes. Uh, I mean, I, you know, let, let me just say that it comes with audio commentary with the co-writers, co-directors, audio interviewer with the composer. Uh, there is a 19-minute uh, piece going to pieces with co-writer and co-director Mark Ezra. Blah. Excuse me. Oh, there wow. is a, well, like I said, we had been drinking. Yeah. We'll have to fix that in post. There's a, uh, no, we, we won't. Uh, there's a My Days at Doddsville with actress Carolyn Monroe, the aforementioned older, way too old to be in this movie actress, who is definitely looking back at this going, Jesus Christ, I'm laughing. <laughs> um, uh, alternate title sequence, which has the original April Fool's Day title, still gallery, theatrical trailer, yada, yada, yada. Yeah. You know, it is what it is. I actually think if you like slasher films a lot, if it's your thing, you like 80s films a lot, I think you're going to have a lot of fun with Slaughter High for what yeah. it's worth. But it's not like a film you're going to go, oh, this is a great movie. Yeah. It's, it's not. fun, but not good. All right, so let's move on to a movie that is deeply underrated, I felt. Uh, because yeah. I read a lot of reviews of this movie, Bushwick, that came out this year. Uh, directed by the guy who uh, uh, did uh, Stakeland, which is also really great underrated film. And... I was like, oh, God, okay, well, I don't think I asked for this, but they sent it to me, so I guess I'll watch it. And then I really kind of love this movie in a way. It kind of is – I've never really seen anything like it. It's – the idea being – Well, just wait a few years and this story will come true. (laughs) Yeah, right? The idea is Brittany Snow, who is an actress recently, very up-and-coming young actress who's literally won Young Artist Award type things, Young Actress thing, won multiple things for being, oh, best young actress who had, you know, got her start on things like uh, Nip Tuck and most recently one of the regulars on the Pitch Perfect films. She is just when this film starts coming out of the subway with uh, her uh, her young boyfriend, uh, Jose, played by a guy who plays the gayest guy in the universe on Broad City. So it was really weird for me to watch him there. Like, like he plays this deeply, like, I think Puerto Rican, like heavy accent guy who's super gay on Broad City. And here he's like. Oh, hey, how's it going? He's like kind of macho. What I found this weird was a New York subway in the middle of the day that was completely abandoned. (laughs) That I found really weird. Well, no, it's not weird considering the circumstances because they come out of the where is everyone. They're in New York and they come out and it turns out there is a full on attack on America in New York going like a ground attack on America in the middle of happening. Her boyfriend dies almost immediately and horrifically so. Uh, and she's like, what the fuck? What the fuck? Well, she ends up very shortly afterwards, sort of like after try in the process of trying to escape some rapey opportunists, 
uh, like being saved by Dave Bautista, which at which point, if you had no idea even this film, you go, yay, Dave Bautista, yeah. who is this embittered, older, sort of not sullen. What's the word I'm looking for? Like, uh, like he's damaged. He's, he's damaged. Ex-military type he's weird. Guy. He's world weary. He's yeah. had some problems in the past. Ex-military living in Brooklyn, just trying to make, you know, try to make his living. And suddenly there is this bizarre invasion force that has attacked Brooklyn of all places. They get thrown together. You know, she he has the skills to survive. Somehow she manages to convince him to allow herself to tag along with him as they try to get to an evacuation center and get off the island. Uh, as it transpires, <laughs> the state of Texas has seceded and decided that the best way to secede from the Union is to hit places along the East Coast. And they're going to go first for the sort of liberal, faggy, little pussy place known as Brooklyn. Because you know what? As they look at it. Because that's the way they look. It's like, well, you have an ethnic population. There's no cohesion. These people don't stand for anything together. And they're a bunch of fucking liberals. And, you know, so they don't have any yeah, They're guns. not going to stand up against This us. is a big middle finger to all of the people who think that, you know... The major urban centers or cities along the coast aren't the true America. Uh, so or, once or they the, get there, they're like, we never thought these fuckers were going to fight back. This idea is like, <laughs> oh, it's just all these ethnic groups that don't even like each other. They're not going to stand up for themselves because they're not white people. Yeah. And it like it doesn't. And guns are outlawed in Brooklyn. So clearly they never expected anybody in Brooklyn would be armed legally or otherwise. And this is a very kind of extremely pro-go New York movie, which is very funny in and of itself, the way that it deals with that. That's sort of like, no, fuck you. We may all not like each other, but we will all yeah. team up if you try to fuck with Do us. Not fuck There's with a us. great moment where some Hasidic Jews are walking around oh, with AK-47s yeah. taking out dudes, and, and uh, the girl's like, what the fuck? I didn't even know what. Like, you just said, <laughs> it's so weird seeing a bunch of his, the guys with the curls and everything, yeah. like, like firing machine guns and being badasses. I was like, that was kind of awesome. Yeah. Um, but this is a fun little, very immediate movie following these characters very close up as they're going from situation to situation, just trying to figure out we've got to get to the, the demilitarized zone right. to, to get out of this situation. And I had a great time with it. Now, yeah. this is dark as fuck. Yeah. It's super bleak. It, it feels like a Romero film without zombies. It totally does. It totally... It, yes. Yes. I really love the performances here. I think this is the best performance Batista has done so far. Which is uh, saying something. He's uh, really good in this. And I was re supremely shocked to see so many negative reviews to this thing. I was pleased to see not everyone gave it negative reviews because yeah. I was... I walked... I, when this was done, I was like, this is great. I'm keeping yeah. this movie. I want to show it to other people. Yeah. I mean, I'm not saying it's perfect, but it is no, definitely better than expected. And, you know, there is another thing in, before we move on I just want to point out that there is a one. The action in this is pretty good, and it's very brutal. It's yeah. very direct. This is not stylized violence. It's just like no. I'm going to just beat the shit out of this guy until he doesn't move anymore. And at some point, uh, Bautista and the Snow character they are in uh, somebody's house, an apartment, and when they have to confront one of these invaders, 
and basically interrogate him. And this is the guy who has to the unfortunate job of having to deliver this huge exposition dump. And at some point I'm watching this interrogation scene. I realize, wait, they haven't cut yet. Yet there's been a lot of camera movement. The shots haven't been static or boring. At no point was I bored. And then I realized, holy shit, they really, this whole movie is composed of really long shots. Yes, it is. And it, that takes it's a lot of confidence shot. to just go, I don't need to cut this 30 different ways. So that's Dave Bautista and all the other members in the cast doing scenes for five, 10 minutes at a time in one take uh, with little cutting or coverage to interfere with that. And to me, that that is that puts this movie on a better on a higher level because it could have been done very quickly, very cheaply. It still had that sort of tongue in cheek, sort of social commentary edge, but to direct it with such confidence, not only in your cameraman's ability to keep everything in focus and flowing, yeah. but also your abil- your your confidence in your actors that they will sustain your interest for that period of time. I'm the only real disappointment here is there's no commentary or in-depth documentary no it's about really the bare bones of this because it's very convincing yeah this it's so, all shot in brooklyn i mean actually shot in brooklyn it it throws you in the middle of this circumstance that feels very cinema verite it feels very immediate and real like there's just there's not much in the way of like you said there's no like sense of like let's do some stylish awesome action no right. it's like characters come along like there's regularly new people they meet up with like shit let's go and then all of a sudden half of them are dead by headshots coming out from snipers yeah. and, and it's like it's it's a graphic war film yeah. in the people middle of like new york die. city yeah and it's very affecting yeah I, I and also you know fuck like these racist pieces of shit <laughs> That are like this whole like, no, we're justified because we're right, white and we're yeah. right. And this film is going to definitely speak to people who are a little bit scared of that sort of thing. Yeah. And, and go like, let's and hope still they want- see it and then realize shit, invading Brooklyn the, is a terrible despite idea. Despite some degree of, obviously a large degree of bleakness in the film itself, there's still a lot of like, guys, if you invade Brooklyn, you're going to fucking lose. Yeah. <laughs> you know, there's no way you're going to beat that town. Yeah. You, you can send all your militias. It, you ain't going to take down New York. All right. So moving on to our last thing we're reviewing this week, which is the giant box set of all of the seasons and the movie for the very disturbing and controversial animated show drawn together now drawn together was a it was comedy central wasn't it yeah it was comedy central uh, 2004 2007 and then a movie and the idea is is that these sort of like cliched characters from animation have all been brought together on a reality show and you know i mean they're like You've got a superhero type character voiced by Jess Harnell, who's like this sociopath, chauvinistic, total pervert, anti-hero, like who's Superman, basically. Yeah. You have a a sock bat who is a sort of SpongeBob SquarePants type character or Stimpy or something like that. You have Princess Clara, who's the Disney princess, but she's this total racist. Oh, she's hella racist. White, white, like privileged type girl. You have Foxy Love, 
voiced by Cree Summer, who is a uh, sort of ghettoized, like Pam Greer crossed with the lead character from Josie and the Pussycats. Yeah. Uh, you have Toot Bronstein oh, God, that was the worst by Tara, Tara Strong, who is Betty basically Boop. Betty Boop as like a... A 30s sex symbol yeah, cartoon. Aged and gross. And gross. Yes. Uh, this, this whole series was just lewd, have, crude, and rude. You have Xander, who is uh, basically Link from The Legend of yeah, Zelda. Yeah, a little bit it's, of Elf Quest who, thrown in. Who reveals, it's revealed very early on, despite his constant and never can't stop mentioning quest to save his girlfriend, is actually totally gay. gay. Uh, Spanky Ham, voiced by Adam Carolla, who is a, I don't know who he's supposed, he's supposed to be. He's supposed to be an internet flash cartoon. Yeah, internet flash cartoon. You know, so he's a pig who's like all about being as offensive as possible. And then there's Ling Ling. Who's, Basically who's, Pokemon. Who's Pokemon, but a total like psychopath. Yeah. Uh, and there are, when I, I remember watching this originally and going, this is going for what South Park was doing. Like if we're offensive towards absolutely everyone, then we're not offensive by definition. And I, to some extent, that is still true here. No, you're just offensive to everybody. <laughs> no, but to some extent, I think it is. If you're calling out everybody, the idea that you're not pay, playing sides, then you're definitely not like yeah, the, the thing you're, is. You're making fun of offensiveness, but why it worked in nah. South Park and didn't work as well here is because South Park actually had something to say. Right. Whether you agree with it or not, they were at least trying to make some social political commentary. There's this, none of that. This going is on. a story that's really. This is again the classic, you know, sort of Saturday Night Live skit scenario where it's like you had a really good five minute skit here and you sustained it over three seasons and a feature film. And at some point it just becomes exhausting. Uh, you know, I'm not saying I didn't laugh at this uh, and I'm not saying that I don't have a tolerance for dark, crude humor. I do. But at some point it was like, you're just being gross. This really isn't about <laughs> anything. And a lot of the jokes are just sort of cheap and obvious. Like, well, of course, the 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 elf is gay, and of course, you know, the uh, the obnoxious pig character that's when the, he decides to start a sweatshop, he's going to find the one Asian character to run it. That's the thing is, like, if you if you're someone who goes, of course, I find this sort of thing when someone says in any sort of way, like something where it's inappropriately placed in inside of something else, I go, that's not all right, but. If you're someone who's like, but still, I can deal with a lot of that. You go like, there's something to be said with the sort of like that sigh of relief of like, we're going to all agree to be as offensive as possible to point sure. out how bizarre it is that these are even things, which is definitely this yeah. show's point. It regularly tries to go, isn't it bizarre that anyone even thinks this way is kind of the best is ultimately what it's trying to do by being as pushing that as being as offensive as humanly possible. But we are at a time that, like, I don't know if it's for good or for bad, like, the the sensitiveness to it, this is not going to sell well with most people. Yeah. I mean, I'm not sensitive to it in the sense that I'm offended. No, I don't no, need no. to go to a safe place. I'm not triggered. I'm just like, that's not as clever as you think. No, no, no. I, I agree. But and, and the thing about it for me is, like, again, if you're trying to say something, if you're trying to skewer social mores or you're trying to make some commentary on a genre – I'll go with you up to a certain point. What I got from this series was basically cartoons are stupid and the people who watch them are kind of dumb. 
what if we put all these stupid cartoon characters together? Wouldn't that be a gas? I think I like this a lot more than you, you did. You did. But I will also say that I totally think there's a very narrow audience yeah. for this. I mean, I was a little, I had to watch it. And my wife had come in and was like, oh, what are you watching? I'm like, you don't want to see this. Yeah. And she's like, no, what is it? I was like, you don't want to see it. And because thinking she's going to be really offended. And then she actually laughed a lot yeah. watching it. And she's like, no, it's offensive. A lot of it is even like where I was like, come on. But the thing is, for every time they go too far, there's something that their take on it is genuinely funny. Oh, there's some, I'm not going to lie. I genuinely laughed at parts and, of it. And this is but the, after three seasons of it, it was just too much. And this box set is and this completely is, uncensored. So there's oh, yeah. like flat out like hardcore nudity, animated nudity and everything in this thing. You had everything. If you um, ever wanted to see a cartoon uh, pig penis, you yeah. get that. Uh, and the thing is, the first two seasons of the Spoiler show, warning, think, they're curly. The first two seasons of the show, I think, actually do have a lot of genuinely funny stuff in it. The third season peters off a lot, and the movie is almost unwatchably bad. Uh, mm-hmm. So I would say this is a, this is one of those you pick up this box set just because, like, you're like, I you know, I don't know. There's enough here I might put it on to shock people, or, like, maybe I like it enough I might return to it at some point, and, and it's... One of those things I suspect has all but disappeared from streaming because no one wants to be associated with it. No. But it's interesting no, that it, it ever existed at all. All right. So that's it for Digital Noise this week. Thank you so much, Marco. That was a long one for us. That we had a long. lot of stuff to cover. But uh, what did I say my, my pick of the week was? Uh, oh, Westworld. You said Westworld. Your, your pick of the week was uh, Planes, was Trains, Trains, and Automobiles. Just for classic, just for uh, nostalgia's sake, I suppose. Either way. It could have gone anyway. Either way, they're both well, well, well worth, worth owning. It. We and, will never uh, drink before review again. And I will be back uh, very soon in probably about a week with Aaron, where we have a bunch of stuff to talk about as well. So until then, just keep watching. Let us know if there's anything we missed along the way that we really should have checked out that came out. And uh, thanks for listening. All right. See you later. Oneofus.net has been your one-stop shop for all things geek for years. But there's a side to them many of you have never heard. The subscription side. Subscribe and listen to great podcasts like The Breakfast Pub, The Original Gentleman, and the Watch a Movie With Us series. Head on over to oneofus.net and don't forget your towel.